0: at ChristianCrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the executive director of Christian Crusaders.
1: Hey, everybody! Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. Thanks for tuning in. I've got Andrew with me today, and we've got Ron Gruber as our interview guest. So you listen to that interview, right?
2: Yeah. The, this is one of the most amazing stories. One of the most amazing interviews I think anybody is going to hear. Um, the the conversion uh, in this, you know, you think back to the biblical story of Paul, uh, Saul, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and this seems even, even almost more dramatic than that. Right. Because Saul at least was, was a religious zealot, you know, anti-Christianity, but, but he, you know, converted <laughs> Ron, <laughs> you can't say he was religious in any, he was the complete opposite of right. And, and just his story of conversion and and just what he went through leading up to that and what he's done since uh it's it's just unbelievable
1: i think i mentioned this in the podcast the first time i saw him was with a group of like 40 old guys at a bible study at seven in the morning and they brought this guy in i'd heard of him and he shared his testimony and i mean you Every one of us is on the front of our seats, kind of with our jaws hanging open like, this is unreal. Yeah. And I've heard him share his testimony a few times since then. He was obviously at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. We're recording this sidekick interview, this little pre-interview interview, Yeah. Um, after, well after the recording of the yeah. Gruber interview, and... It's just incredible the ripple effect that this interview has had and that his story has had among people who've heard it.
2: Yeah, a lot of people have already listened to this um, and and I'm sure have been very much impacted. You know, he's been able to tell his story to uh, other people in prison, uh, to be able to tell it to to athletic teams like Iowa, UNI, uh, Northern Iowa. Um, Just the the amount, the the reach that this story has had, I mean, obviously – there were awful things that have happened in his life, both to him and by him. Um, but the, the impact that, that God has then taken that and, and used it for good, um, it, it just it it shows what a powerful and awesome God we serve.
1: It doesn't come through so much in the interview because I think he's kind of been careful about how he tells his story. But we went out for lunch after that interview, and Ron told me some of the things he needs to do to just kind of be careful about living outside of prison given the past that he has i mean there's still people out there who don't like ron oh yeah and it's just remarkable that the lord has preserved him and continues to preserve him so that he can share this story and lead the ministry that he's part of out in grundy center yeah near grundy center iowa exactly uh remarkable stuff what are some of the things that stuck out to you about the story specifically
2: oh just you know starting off the the absolutely ridiculously rough upbringing um you know to to have have a father who he goes into this in detail but have a father who who treats him that way and and you know the the, just the rough time that he had coming up um you know the the turning into the gang violence and you can see
1: why he turned to a gang yeah he had no support system at all Yep,
2: yep um and and just what happened then as a result of that and what just sort of gang life was like, you know, the the idea that that you know these enforcers, the toughest of the tough, and he said, you know, three of them committed suicide in a short period of time. That's not a side you see on, you know, if if you're watching TV shows about motorcycle gangs, you know, um, you don't see that on Sons of Anarchy, right? You know, that's that's not a side that you really think about, um, and and then. You know, he tried to do it himself and, and was only saved from that by the Lord's intervention. So
1: I said he had no support system at all. I should say his dad offered him no support system. Sounds like his mom was trying to do the best she could, yeah. but it was just in a very, very difficult marriage. And Yeah, exactly. So the story about the guy, forget his name, in Kentucky, who took Ron in and let him work on his farm as kind of a hired hand, yeah. it just had a kind of a drip, drip, drip daily yep. effect. This guy was a Christian, and yeah. he obviously had an effect on Ron, even though Ron was in many ways resistant to that. Right. When push came to shove, that dude's faith illuminated the path for Ron.
2: Well, and, and it's that that guy's inspiring to me because um, you think about somebody comes to me for a job, and and I see, oh, they, they've done this much prison time. Boy, that's that's a that's a giant red flag for me right away, mm-hmm. right? And and this guy not only hires Ron to, to help, and it's farm work, so I guess you know that's it's you know he's not
1: handling his money,
2: right? Uh, so I I get that there's a difference, but at the same time hires this guy to be around his family and and to be there, and not only does that, but sees this as an opportunity, and insists that part of him working there is. You come into the house every day for lunch, um, and, and you talk to, to my wife and me over lunch. <laughs> wow. I mean, that guy, that's inspiring. That's, if, if we could all have faith like that, totally. um, you know, just to, to kind of go where the God is, uh, uh, is leading us and, and see what happens as a result.
1: Totally. There's also the excerpt about Ken Lockard. Ken's a guy from Cedar Falls here who we know, and he had some run-ins with Ron way back in the day. And then that kind of came full circle, and now they're brothers in Christ. There's just so many nuances. I think you're exactly right. This is one of the most riveting testimonies I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, and the people who are going to listen to this are going to be very, very inspired.
2: Yeah, uh, we we should also say uh, there's a bit of coarse language, uh, some some graphic things. Uh, so probably uh, not safe for for younger kids or anything like that. He talks through a couple of things that are pretty intense. Um, so. If parents, if you're listening to this and you got kids under 14 or something like that, be a little bit careful. But um, it, it's it's definitely worth it. It's it's going to be a great listen.
1: Yeah, enjoy the interview. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good day. This is Matt Reister with the CC Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, listening to us. And today, guys, we have got an opportunity to hear a story that is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Ron Gruber was first introduced to me. I was first introduced to him at a Bible study that I go to with some guys on early Tuesday mornings. One of the guys brought Ron in to share his testimony several years ago. And I've been around this whole Christian thing for a long time. I've heard a lot of great, inspiring stories. It was the most riveting testimony, the most riveting story I've ever heard. We only had 30 or 35 minutes to hear from Ron. I immediately wanted to hear more. I got to sit with him at breakfast for a little bit shortly after that and hear some more. I've been watching him from afar, and I've been hearing about him through the grapevine ever since. I've had it on my radar to, if I ever have an opportunity, to give this guy an audience with a greater number of people i want to do it and ron uh you were gracious enough to accept my invitation thank you so much thanks for being here
3: it, it's an honor to be able to be here and serve god
1: amen let's uh just tell the end of the story first um ron is a uh convicted felon yep. f- did quite a bit of prison time yes sir uh kind of a high-ranking guy in a gang and uh in prison, before you went to prison, came to know Christ in a pretty dramatic way. And you're now out of prison and you're leading some Christian ministry. So that's a synopsis of your story. But guys, this doesn't do justice at all to what you're about to hear. So um, I want to dive in early on. Ron, uh, his story is in the first chapter of a book called Sons of Grace by Mark Hughes. And it says, Ten Tough Men Who Went From Hell to Happiness. Tell the story of how you even got this in. This was written when you were still in prison.
3: Yeah, it was written while I was, um, a man was, you know, fighting God. The executive director, who's Mark Hughes, the last uh, man in the book. In his own realm as a business, prominent businessman, and God broke his heart, and by recommitting himself to God, Uh, God said, I want you to do something. I want you to create a book where you get 10 men from 10 different walks of life. So when somebody picks this book up, they're able to identify with at least one of a minute. And so he got a hold of uh, one of the the men uh, that knew me uh, on the outside as far as a, a prison fellowship director. And he said, listen uh ron's pretty cautious about anything he's doing outside of prison because he's inside so if you want to get a hold of him you're gonna have to write him a personal letter Mm -hmm. and so he did and he asked me he said i've heard about what you're doing in prison outside of prison and uh i'd like your testimony in this book and i told him no i'm gonna have to pray on it about six eight months later i got a release from god and i said just one thing i'm asking you i'll write my chapter Don't change it. Don't make it where you tell me it's going to say one thing, then do another. And he he goes, all right. So when he put it together, he said, the only thing I changed is took some of the ain'ts out of it. And I went, all right. (laughs) So, yep. He
1: didn't take all the words out of it. I
3: told him, you take, I mean, dude, I still got several years in prison. What if you put me in this book? And he said, no, I I know that God told me to, to write you. And so I'm not, I think in my heart that you're going to achieve what God wants you to do in and out of prison. And so. Yep, he's a good man.
1: I didn't realize that uh, the executive, that's his story.
3: Yeah, that's his is story. He's the guy who put it together. Yep, that, he's oh, the one that put, I, I yep, haven't read he any put more himself on Front Street, too. Yep.
1: I haven't read any more of this than your story, so I'll have to get into it a little bit more. Um, so early on, Ron, uh, you grew up in a challenging home. There's no question about that. And uh, you had a, a bad relationship with your dad. And um, I've got a few things thoughts that I want to kind of talk about, but before that, I'm going to just read a couple sections of this book to give people a picture of the situation that you grew up in. You had a war between you and your dad. You describe it as Uh, my father's primary goal was to destroy and shame me by designing twisted challenges for me to meet head on or receive the crown of a coward. I'm going to keep going here. Skip Uh around a little bit. He was always picking on you for being a wimp, a coward. And um, I remember being seven years old and wanting nothing more in life than to do what other kids did with their dad, play a game of catch, maybe just walk and talk. But the cards dealt me were what they were. I can still see my father. This is down a little bit further. I can still see my father, dead dog drunk, with a cigarette hanging from his lips, eyes glazed, trying to explain, again, why he's hours late, with the telltale lipstick of a strange woman on his clothes, all I could do was hate myself for not being able to break him into pieces as he would begin to manhandle my mom. She'd beg him to leave her alone, but that would just fire up his attack. I could hear her heart breaking with every cry for him to stop. He would try to justify cheating on her in his twisted, drunken state, telling her how, quote, lucky she was to have a man who was willing to come home and even sleep with her fat, ugly self. In his mind, his actions were not to be questioned because what he did was all for his family, no matter how it looked. Yeah, and let me I, stop there and what, what does that make you think about?
3: Well, first off, I, I always like anybody that hears that, to understand that I'm not trying to say poor me," that I got somehow a corner market on pain, because if you got a pulse, and you've had things in your life that make you feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. You've had situations that made you feel like a little chunk of done. Now, my my father, my mom, when he wouldn't be away, she'd say something like, do you love me? Well, Yeah, I love you, Ma. No, I said, do you really love me? Well, Yeah, Ma. Well, then you'll protect me. Mm-hmm. So my dad worked like a beast. But when he came in the house, he had an habitual habit. You could hear him out there. He'd be choking her, and he'd be violating her mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sitting in that room and trying to act like it wasn't going on mm-hmm. was harder than being able to go because inside chest was like a gas tank. I was filled with fear, and I was filled with anger, but I'd given my mom my word. And something about being all in and going out there, and when you challenged him, it's like a man, he, you're in violation. My dad wouldn't just knock you out. He'd pick you up and start squeezing your head because he was what we call in the state system when you're real strong with lifting iron. He was cock strong is what they call it. And he'd hold you up and he'd start and he say, you know how stupid you are for coming out here? Mm-hmm. Look at your face. And then he'd knock you down, push you out, and he'd finish up on mom. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like I say, that he probably thought uh, he won, but I knew I'd won because I gave him a word. Mm-hmm. And I went out there and I at least tried. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say, like, boy, that's an isolated situation, but that was, that was an habitual uh, way of life yeah. there.
1: You raised goats. Yep. T- tell me about the farm.
3: Well, Dad had like 14 acres, so we always had a few hogs that you'd slop and, and butcher, and then you had some chickens to get the eggs. We milked a 100 head of goat. And, uh, you know, that's that was part of the, the deal. Like uh, You know, as you grow with my own man, uh, when you don't put something new, like God talks about the stagnant water, when you don't put something new in a relationship, it becomes stagnant. So, the challenges between him and me grew. And so, like, if one of the ghosts was maybe uh, her udder got stepped on, so she needed special care. My mom isn't perfect, but she had a heart the size of Dallas. And she'd give that goat extra love. My dad would notice that. Mm-hmm. And about it, you know, he'd wait three, four, six months. And then he'd, when she went to town to get groceries, he'd say, uh, like, the first time he did it, kind of threw me back, where he goes, Go in there and get Beauty. Bring her out. I want to read this. Okay, can I good. read it from the book? Yep, yep.
1: Kitty and Beauty were just three feet away from us. These are two goats. Yep. Can you picture this right now?
3: Oh yeah. I, when you when you uh, when a shotgun goes off two inches from the top of a goat's head, and you're standing three feet away, and you get the spray on you, you can smell the burn on the hair. Yep. And they watch him kick like an invisible semi hit him in the head. Yeah, I I can picture it. I mean,
1: even right now, though.
3: Even right now, though,
1: Kitty and Beauty were just three feet away from us, happy as larks. By the way, this is a little graphic, so just heads up, but I think it's important to share. Happy as larks, eating the grain, and without a clue to what the next few seconds would bring, Dad stroked the barrel of the shotgun up and down on the center of Kitty's head. I closed my eyes, and a thought flashed through my mind. Is Dad thinking of Mom right now while he's doing this? How old were you, Ron? Uh, Eight, eight. ten, yeah. Somewhere in there, I mean. You open them damn eyes right now. You hear me? I said, open them eyes and watch this, you coward. It's your dad talking to you. Yep. I open my eyes, streaming with tears, and anger forced me to yell, all right, all right, do it, do it. The body kicks back. Her eye flies out of the socket. Blood shoots from her head with a bowl-sized hole in her skull. Fallen now, she begins to pee on the dirt. The second explosion to Kitty blows the jaw off her head. She tries to stand again, but the third explosion breaks her entire head into chunks. My father, my father smiles at me and jeered. Oh, is baby scared? Talking to you. I Said to myself, we will see one day who survives this game. But for some reason, I'll probably never understand. I hated myself more than anything. I was 10 years old. The severe hatred between me and my dad was deepening, becoming more dangerous by the day, forming a gaping wound inside my soul. Ron, say a little bit. I, I think there's a chance there might be someone listening to this who understands something that about this that I don't understand. Why did that cause you to hate yourself?
3: Like I said, this wasn't a one-time deal. So it's the idea of I got no control. Mm-hmm. I have no control. I, I mean... I'm allowing this situation to go on, whether it's violating and and, and, and abusing my mother, mm-hmm. whether it's attacking my younger brother, whether it's sitting here and, and taking the life of... Because at that age, they were like friends to a guy, right? right. And so it's like um, hating yourself for just being... Why couldn't I just try to take that gun away? I mean, it's like... There's lots of different things that spin around, but I think it's absolutely being self nothing in my control to stop it and and so i I blame it on me he's allowed to exist the situation's allowed to exist i'm aware of how wrong it is but i'm not doing anything to get it completely stopped and so yeah
1: Mm -hmm. uh you went on to tell another story about a goat you had named chore boy who you worked your butt off that was my uh, dog yeah and and your dad upset at you and wanting to get it back at you for some sick reason, killed chore boy while you're at school, you come home and you see this. And he, a few weeks later you guys are eating dinner and in the middle of dinner, he asks you how that goat tastes because yeah. that's what you're eating right now. Yep. I mean, this is, um, and I, I mean, I don't want to rail on your dad, you know, too much. He's gone. Um, this, this story tells you that you were able to come to a place where you forgave him, which I think is incredible. Uh, you faced him at least one more time yep. before he died while yep. you were in prison. Yep. Um, talk about that. How, how do you forgive that?
3: Um, you start by going through the motions. I mean, because when God told me when I gave my life to him and his time was going on, he said, you know, that includes forgiving your father. And I said, like hell, mm-hmm. I'm not forgiving him. Mm-hmm. And becoming more involved with the Holy Spirit allowed me to understand that what I was doing is suspending the unlimited grace and love that God had for me by allowing me to say, I can forgive, but not here in this kind of volume. This type of person doesn't get it. And that was also allowing me to put myself in there for some things I'd done. So I come to a point where I started just saying, Lord, I don't feel like it. but I'm going to say, please allow him to come to know you and teach me how to forgive. And it came to a point where I was able, his aunt bring him up. It's not his aunt. is my aunt hmm. bring him up, said, you got to see him, Merle. Now he's, and, uh, he sat there across from me, 300 pounds and, hmm. and I just said, Hey, if I've ever hurt you, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Cause I'm telling you something right here and now I forgive you. And he goes, like what? I said, I forgive you. And I left it at that wow. because like I said, um, there was nothing more really because where his level was he just it wasn't a wrong thing in his mind and i never got a chance to talk to him outside of prison cuz he died <coughs> while i was in there so
1: uh i i have over the course of my life tended to be a law and order guy yep ran for office a couple times i was telling you about that yep, before yep. we got on the podcast and my view of things is if you can't do the time, don't do the crime, a personal responsibility. I'm real high on all that. Um, when I read this, so that's kind of the hard, you know, side of me. But when I read this, I just go, and, and you said at the very beginning, you're not making excuses. Everyone's got pain, but, but you just go a kid that grows up in this seven years old, eight years old, 10 years old. Um, how do you have a chance?
3: Well, that's that's the thing. The only other, see, that's the one thing. Some men I have met, they have talked to me about some of the things they've went through. And they used it as a catalyst to be able to say, I'll never be like that. And they found Christ, and they used that as a, a war cry Were me, I found the gang. I found violence. I found where... So, you know, everybody's got a card dealt to them, my whole hand, but I chose to use it to satisfy the darkness. Yeah. Uh, And where others have used it, I just, I do believe, because God says you raise a son in the way of the Lord, and even when he's like the prodigal, he's got an opportunity to come back. I didn't have that opportunity, Mm -hmm. okay, but that's... Still, it doesn't justify the things I've done in the past.
1: One thing I was thinking about that relates to this a little bit is when you complete the story. So now you look to where you're at now, and your sovereign foundations. I mean, you were put in that situation without any choice of your own. God allowed you to be in that situation. And it obviously took a turn for the very worse, but now it's turned a a turn for the better. I mean, have you thought about how that all works? Like,
3: Like it's beyond me because you know somebody back then would try if somebody at school would talk about a god i'd laugh like right there's a god where ironically because i went through that when i'm working with different men that are in or out of prison or these youth out in Eldora, that they i can now when i say things they realize i'm not kidding i've been there so it gives me an an you know, an opportunity to speak into their lives because I got credibility because of the the darkness. They can relate that this guy he isn't just coming in here trying to save me. This guy's trying to say, hey, use your power for the for, to to come ahead positively in this community and be about the safety and wellness instead of thinking you got to go back into the gang or go back out there in the street and use what the street offers. So, yeah, it's it's ironic how. That downstroke, so terrible as it was, God's using it for an upstroke. Where that's why I'm sitting with you today. Yeah. So that which almost ate me and spit me out completely is now the functioning element that that's allowed me to have accountability or credibility with a whole different segment of the kingdom.
1: And in varying degrees, we all have that, right?
3: Exactly. I mean, there's God says there's um, a body, different parts (laughs) of it and they all shouldn't crave to be the other then he even speaks about the uncommonly parts and so i don't i guess for me i was an a hole and i i'm still god's a. now i'm god's a hole and by golly he's using me and i mean so i mean cuz he in the word says we talk about the arm the hand the feet and then he goes then there's them uncommonly parts right and i'm going you know what i
1: never thought about it like that but that's so good so
3: so it's like okay i I'm fine with that because I relate to that. Yeah, and those those a holes are the ones that are usually they're hurting their kids, or they're 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 in in, a, in gangs, maybe hurting violence, or they're selling dope. Where they get it, I can relate to where. And there's another option. Yeah, either one we work hard at, but one definitely has right. different results because Christ isn't easy, right? But either's doing time. One,
1: I, I wasn't going to get to this yet, but you're reminding me of it. You know, the story of Saul and Paul. I mean, this guy was very passionate and very good at killing Christians.
3: She was he, men, he was women all he, of he
1: it. was doing the Lord's work. Yep. And so God saves Paul in this drastic conversion experience on a horse you know on the way to Damascus. Yep. yep. On
3: the Damascus Road. And yep. and
1: uh and he takes that passion and harnesses it for the kingdom. And now we have most of the New Testament written by this guy. Yep and uh, planting churches and really getting the Christian movement off the ground in the first century. And so I see you, uh, you know, you're going to live loud going this way. And when Christ gets a hold of you, you're going to live loud for the kingdom.
3: And I, I, I don't, and it'd be different, but he's never told me in all our conversations that I should wear a three-piece suit and shave my face. <laughs> and you're right, he's, he, he said, I got guys doing that. I need you as the uncommonly part.
1: I love it to be
3: able to identify with these other ones, so that they know there is an option that's real. Yep. That no matter how deep you are in it, if you you know when you wake up at three in the morning, it's empty, it's counterfeit. But you just fill yourself up with the same. old, oh, if you can allow yourself to grab a hold of me, you can change, and that's, and so that's that's kind of my war cry. Maybe I, uh, you know, I. Christ they'd say, What are you sitting with those sinners for? Right. Yeah. But Ron, I,
1: I hope yeah. someone listening to this, uh, who feels the pressure to either a Christian or somebody who's not a Christian who says I wouldn't be a Christian because there's this pressure to be this certain way. Right. I, I hope there are people who hear this that go, you know what? God called me to be me. Amen. And not not just sinful you and do whatever you want you. Right, that's right. But redeemed you. And, uh, and and you've got a role to play in the body, the way that God made you uh, and the way that he redeemed you. That, that's awesome. I want to come back to your story. We're going to follow the All timeline. Right. Uh, take a quick break here to promote the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. 99 years old. We're going to have our 99th conference this summer. And Ron is actually going to be speaking at it on Thursday night, July 30th, 7 p.m. He's going to do a Q&A And a little bit of more uh, session later Friday afternoon, we've got a bunch of other speakers. Recap Gray, who was one of our favorites last year. J. Warner Wallace, a well-known apologist. And musicians, Mark Schultz, are going to be playing. Christy Knuckles. And this Cedar Falls Bible Conference has really started to take off again in the last few years. It's free for everybody to come, there's ministry for kids and students between zero and 18 years old. We've got morning and evening sessions. We're bringing more and more good food. And so please put the Cedar Falls Bible Conference on your schedule July 25th through August 1st, where you can be inspired and challenged and shaped by God's Word. And you can come listen to Ron in person and meet him and hear his story uh, for yourself. So that's the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Now, Ron, let's get back to this. Right. You... Have this void, um, and you're looking for a place to belong, a place where you can have a brotherhood, a place where you can have family, because you're not getting that in your biological family. And so you found true family. You say in here, yeah, I was sure I had found my new true family. Within two years of being a hangaround with the gang, just someone who's hanging around, yep. not really anything official or having an official yep. capacity, my brother and I were allowed to prospect the means of becoming a member of the gang, at the ages of 16 and 17. The young age violated their own minimum of 21. So you're quite a bit younger than the threshold.
3: Yeah, nowadays some kids can be in them gangs at nine, where back then...
1: You had to be 21. You had to be 21 because that was legal age. You said what pushed you over was our hard hearts, strong fists, and fearlessness broke all the rules. I knew I had found my reason for living, power, sex, and violence goes on to talk about how you became an enforcer in the gang and uh did a little bit of prison time in there. Yep. Um
3: so just describe
1: for us what's this enforcer thing?
3: Um basically I don't know what it is today. I know in my time it was it was uh to do with security. Uh you're not a ranking in the sense where you got the, the head honchos and they call shots for different uh, states and everything. I was security there's each state has an enforcer that secures each chapter's, you know, what, what functions they're doing. And then you got somebody who's head of all security. And that's, that's what I became uh, back in the 80s. A uh, nomad, uh, which is, back then there was only seven of them around. They were just a small group that handled things at 3 in the morning that might catch a life sentence. And, uh, you know, I was security. I was an enforcer for the no-mans, which gave me um, the national security position to be able to make sure functions were secure against enemies uh, and protect ourselves, because you want to make sure people don't get too lit and leave. And So there's a variety of things, but that's an enforcer is the one that enforces the rules that are sanctioned by the bosses. Yep. So
1: because of in part because of uh, the environment you grew up in, home you've got this thick skin. You've developed a lack of fear. You've developed the ability to just kind of plow through whatever challenges in front of you, and that same thing kind of helped you grow through these ranks.
3: That's that's sort of it. I mean, at the end of the day, I think fear is healthy. It's just that I had, you know, enough in me anger and put it where if I'm loyal, and I say, I'm gonna, I'm going to serve you in the capacity of protecting you, then even if I'm scared, that means I'm going to do anything I have to, to protect you. So that gave me the ability to do things. that, like I say, some people won't do. Uh, and somebody like me, I just looked at it as a challenge, not that I'm some super tough guy, but I said, this is all I live for. This is all I have. Yeah. And so when I stand next to my boss, um, and a lot of times it was my blood brother where it was, you know, hey, uh, you're not touching them, and you don't touch our people. So, yep.
1: Yep. How tall are you, Ron?
3: I'm like 5'10". I'm, so it's that's the deal. It's not about size. It's about commitment. Uh, some of the powerless men I've met, uh, the the bosses were, my height or shorter and didn't because I usually weighed 240 and benched about 340 where I tried to have a little beef on me. They had more power just because between their ears wasn't gray matter that was um, ignorant. Uh, they could see things before they happened, and so they're the ones that could call shots in that capacity. That's not my department, or it wasn't anyway.
1: First time I listened to you talk, and now even sitting across from you, so you're 5'10", you said? Yep. And, I mean, I mean, you look like you're as strong as a bull, and, and when I look in your eyes, it's just you're dead serious. Like, this is a guy who's going to... S- do what he says he's going to do, uh, and he's committed. And at that time, it was committed to the gang. At this time, it's
3: committed to Christ. Amen. And uh, all in. Praise it's the Lord for that. All in. Yep. Well, that's that's him. You know
1: what? What the Lord couldn't do with more people who were all in. Amen. Uh, you said in here, enforcer got even more violent, driving me deeper into drugs, sex, and violence. Is during that first time I committed um, uh, crime for the first time, serious crime for the first time. Um, in here, you told a couple of stories you talk, you told a story about being in a funeral home with a fallen brother. uh you told a story about uh another uh you know people in the gang who were starting to just wonder how committed they were. There's some suicides that took place yep obviously you didn't name names um like can you just talk about the gang culture don't you if you don't want to talk about that that's fine.
3: It's, it's, see again, you're talking about a, a time that's that's went away. Um, you know, uh, I, I did 19 flat years this last time I've been out six and a half. And so it's a quarter of a century ago. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the, so the family attitude of, of being able to say, this is my family and, uh, it operates a certain way is probably all different. So I don't know, you could, you'd have to ask me again, exactly what you're, asking
1: i was just asking people who wonder what it's like to be in that setting i mean
3: well it's all different like i said there's there's certain men that were they would be in the in the gang and and man they'd work a job and they'd take care of their their town but guys like me i used everything around me for for evil i used a. The ability to make connections and to to, to supply drugs, to have more whores, to, to have enemies so that I could take my, find a victim, find somebody that wanted it. You know, they wanted our territory so you could go and do things. To, I mean, it worked for the anger and the pain that I had inside, uh, where others, they didn't use it like that, so... um that's that's the whole, it's like your family. I'm sure not everybody in your family is the same, how they use your family. And mm-hmm. so back then, uh, again, I used it for what I wanted out of life mm-hmm. and what I thought was important. That was self-centeredness, money, whores, and the illusion of power. Mm-hmm. And, of course, living that lifestyle where you're high on methamphetamine and drinking and, and doing evil things at 2 in the morning, we had several men that, and they took their own lives. And, uh, you know, uh, in one year, we had three of them kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one being one of my own uh, was a fellow nomad. And, uh, you know, you can say the first two, you can try to say, well, they're cowards. And they're not nomads. But mm-hmm. you know they ain't cowards. They mm-hmm. just, this life of leading that kind of life, for some of us, it was just, it was it overtaxed. We're the only way out's to get out. Bang. And... When the third one, you know, he was, I've, I've been with him. I know he's not a coward. When he got about two inches from my face and said, I I said, take that out of your nose. You know, I, I love you, bro. This, and he said, I know. And he put that against his head and squeezed it. That's when the spiral started for me on because when Killed himself right in front right, of you. Well, when he hit the ground, it wasn't just a brother laying there. It wasn't just a nomad brother laying there. It's everything I believed in. Hmm. The, the the power this man that's laying on the floor, he would do things to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a bit bashful to represent his nation. And when he takes his life, everything I, the patch, the 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 honor that goes with it, the family, it made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this what I'm going to come to now? And so hmm. that's when you know I couldn't find enough. You know victims or what do you call them oppositions to go and fight i couldn't do enough drugs and alcohol and i i spun out and went to the boss and saying hey and they said no you ain't you ain't you ain't out you're just being pretty damn retarded what you need to do is go and chill and that's that's when i went down to kentucky and
1: i want to get into that, that. but what you were just talking about reminds me it's it's contrast to a different scene that you described uh, with a, uh, one of the guys who had died. You're in a funeral home, and his dad wants him to be buried as a Christian. Yeah. And you're like, no, that ain't going to happen. And and, and, uh, and you're kind of saying, you know, screw your God. And I'll tell you who God is. And you held up your gun, and you fired four shots in the air outside yeah. the funeral home, yep. having this kind of uh, kerfuffle.
3: With- I said, I shot your God in the face. Yeah. I said, there you go. Here's God. And I pointed the gun. I said, no, there's God, buddy. Now you guys rode with us. And this is the way he's lived. And now you want to shave his face and put some clothes on him that ain't nothing to do with who his heart was. And uh your God, boom, 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 boom. I said, you then shut
1: your God in the face. You fast forward that yeah. to now you've got a buddy using God to take his own life and everything you believed in collapses in front of you. Yep. And so there's the crisis of faith.
3: Yeah, it's, it's you know, again, how... God pearls things together by our choices, but He allows us like like what you just did. You start reflecting and going, "Oh my, oh my, oh my Lord, You knew then, yeah, that this would be so significant because of what happens later." This starts the the evolution of my mind, not clinging to the gang, not clinging to the dope and alcohol and the in the in the money. It was, this this is this is nothing's adding up and wow yep. so
1: you go to Kentucky yep tell us about that and and it sounds like you got plugged into a church there you, you met an, a guy who uh, the guy's name is Ray, Ray Grimmett
3: Ray I put a thing up so I I listen to bosses I go down to Kentucky hang I on put, a second yep.
1: you go down to Kentucky listen to the bosses so you said to the bosses I want out and they're like you're not out like right. you can't you, you
3: can't be out you, you right you in it, it, because Listen, you're valuable to us and I know you're thinking crazy. You'll get over this slow down. Go on. You know, and so I go down there and I put a sign up in this co-op that says I'll work hard. Cuz what do I know? I know gang and I know penitentiary but I know a little bit about farming. Yep. So I put a thing up says I I can drive a tractor, I can bale hay and so this old retired pastor had four-way bypass gets a hold of me and says if you work hard, uh I'll pay you right. I said I'll work hard. He goes, "There's only one thing I ask." And I said, "What's that?" He goes, "At lunch, every lunch, you eat at my house with my wife. She cooks the food." And I went, "Okay," because I mean, all right. And I've learned <laughs> since then because this woman could cook. That these Christian women could cook. But I mean, and I love to eat. So I, re- I bale hay and 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 and. Uh, run his run his tractor, but uh, I'd go in at noon, and he'd be sitting at the table. I know what that book is. I mean, you're an American citizen. That's a Bible. I don't care what he's doing because she's over there. She's cooking, <laughs> and I can smell that food. And she said, the more you eat, the happier I am. And so I made her very happy, <laughs> right? Yep. And, I mean, that's that went on for number number of years until uh, one day he asked me, he said, uh, before well, we went to eat, he goes, Will you pray? And I looked at him, I said, hey, let me tell you something, Ray. You and your woman have been nice to me, but this peace that you have and this that's around you that I can smell, it, it has nothing to do with me. You don't know me. Don't ever ask that of me again. Do you hear me? Did they know anything about you? Yeah, they, well, he, he would ask questions, but he was very not pressing in because I'm tatted and... You could tell by the way I carried myself that, that uh, if he told me to do something, I did it to the letter. No more, no less, mm-hmm. and it was never not finished. So him asking that, he took a gamble, and I gave it that. you know. And Of course, it wasn't, I don't know if it was three weeks later or four, that's when I got that call that said, Ron, get out of that house. What? Hey, you're all over the paper up here. They're indicting people. They want you for racketeering and first-degree murder for what you did when you was in the gang. I said... Oh man, and of course that's where, like I say in the book, that's when i you know i I first got me a long rifle and a pistol, and i said well somebody somebody opened their mouth and I'm gonna have to do what I gotta do before they catch me because I'm not going back to prison i I did seven years that time, and you're talking about suicide yeah well yeah so i i, I first think maybe I should go get somebody and i go to I go to get in the truck and I start. It. And this is the first time. And see what happens is, is I know it was Ray and Mary. And this is why I tell people even if you're not a believer you have to under, try to understand this whatever you're infected with. You infect other people. They had infected me while I was coming in at lunch. How he treated me. With Christ. With Christ where I didn't know none the, where I'd go to, get, go to leave to go get some people and I didn't feel this like yes, and just go get it done. It was like I had anxiety and discomfort, and and so I just went. I turned the truck off, left the rifle in there. I grabbed the forty-four mag, and that's when I went to the woods, going, okay, all right. I'm not gonna hurt nobody. I know what I'm gonna do, and that's. I go out there, and I don't know how long it was in the woods. It was dark, and I was pounding, and like I said, I'm not a theologian or anything, and I didn't see some. 25 foot angel in a brass band playing. I mean, that stuff can happen, <laughs> but I didn't see it, but I grabbed that thing. And after I, I got myself psyched to a point And I mean, I cracked that hammer back and put it against my head. And I, I heard it just like you and me are talking. Don't kill yourself with that gun. You kill yourself with me. And I'm like, and I stopped. and I'm looking like, cause I'm thinking this is the wrong time for anybody to be playing in the woods. I don't see nobody. Hmm. I go back to psyching myself up, I get that gun up there, I hear it again. And that's where, like I say, I'm not a theologian, but I surrendered. I said, Okay, I want I want you uh, talk to me. I'm i and I like I said, I didn't come off the ground like dancing in Kumbayan <laughs> but it was like he put his mouth against mine and he sucked since I was little. I've always had this anger and this like steel wool in my chest. Hmm. It was like like he had sucked enough of it out where when I come off the ground, I got a a, a taste, a, a breath of this this peace. And I went, all right, all right, what do you want me to do? And I mean, I just knew in my heart, it was like a voice is, is telling me, you turn yourself in, you face your time. And of course, I'd like to say that's when I lived happily ever after, but huh. that ain't how it is. When you're wrong and wrong as I was, Um, I turned myself in and, Of course, I had several, I had a long list of people that had indicted me, and uh, I sat there, and God said, you got to be honest. You be honest with what you've done with those that have indicted you. And uh, uh, my lawyer said, you know, you're going to do about 20 years, but if you want to, uh, they're willing to let you help them uh, indict people, and uh, we can get that cut way down to three or four, who knows, Ron. I mean, uh, and I went, listen, I'm already going to be hated, but I heard him, heard him clearly. I've given my life to him clearly. He says, to be honest with what I did with the ones that indicted me. And I'm going to be honest and say, okay, here's what I did and didn't do. And that doesn't make you friends with people. Mm. That makes you no good to the gang, to the convict code. But I said, I'm not indicting anybody. I'm not going to go that route. I don't hear God give me confirmation. And some would say, you're a fool. If you're going to be hated and do 19 years, which I did, for murder and racketeering in second degree. Um, Why not just do three? But that's, uh, I hear a voice. And that voice said, the first part's fine. The second part ain't you. So I sat in there, and I know now that he was like wine. perfecting me, allowing me, because when I went in, you know, I was angry, racist. um, So God was... You know, working through me, taking me to scripture like the Good Samaritan, where everybody said they were a Christian, but the one that put his hands on it was considered a dog, The Samaritan. He treated people with value instead of stripping them of it. A guard ain't a hack, a pig. Uh, there isn't no nigger or spick or honky, none of that. You don't look at people as charges either, whether that guy ch- grabbed a kid. You look at everybody as an opportunity To be able to give value to, and that's hard. And but I, I practiced the word, not just read it, because reading it kept me empty. Practicing bring many challenges, but it allowed me to grow. And I can't tell you how weird stuff over the years happened, where I'd be somewhere where they come and say, "Security wants you." I'm going on, because if you. Some places, three or more gathered together on the yards considered a riotous situation. All I'm doing is reading the Bible, and we're talking about it, and people started gathering. So I go in the security office, and I said, listen, all sh- I was doing, I know what she was doing. Do you want a time slot in a room wow. in the administration? Why? I had a place that said, we have a chaplain that comes in during the week, but would you do Sunday services? So I was allowed to do Sunday services. One of the guards said, and When I went to in the prison in the seventies, I got cut and beat and stabbed, and so I stabbed me several people and I beat up several guards. I'm not proud of it. It's not a bragging thing. It's just a part of the the legacy of of, of being rotten back then. But he, uh, I beat him and I beat him half to death. And uh, he, be, years later, I went to the prison during this change with Christ, and they tell me, you know, who's here? I said, Oh, the warden now is. Mapes, Mr. Mapes, that guard that you got, and I went, oh no. Hmm. And then I walk into a, a, there was a conference event for if you wanted to join this Christian program, and I look over and I see him, and I, 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 he, I hear this voice go, go over, you shake his hand, you tell him you're sorry for what you did to him all them years ago, and I go, and then I hear this other voice going, get. Out of there now! So I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to start to walk, and I, I hear him go, "Okay, you're gonna, you're gonna take the easy route." I thought you were all in, you were all in for the old. You ain't gonna be all in for me, okay? I'm not gonna force you. And I, so I turned around and walked over. And I said, "Warden, I'm, um, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm a Christian now. I'm not gonna talk about it." I'm just going to let my actions speak for who I serve. And I put out my hand, and he stares at me, and he goes, "Man, I swore I'd never do it, but I'm I'm a believer too. And he shook my hand. And he's one that I prayed with him. Uh, Heck, when I got out of prison, he's one of them that let me come into his prison while I'm on parole. I I was allowed after doing one year out, because I'm still on parole. I was uh, allowed to go into the Fort Dodge prison, the Rockwell City prison, the Newton prison, and... Because they said, what do you want to come back in for? You just did 19 years. What are you trying to come back into prison for? I said, you know why? They said, because you want to do what you were doing before you left. I said, that's right. I said, then come on in. And so, yep, that's quite a deal.
1: I, I've let you just talk here for a little bit. I, I wish everybody listening to this could watch Ron tell this. Uh, you're completely convinced one of the thoughts that i had is is there anybody who thinks that you wrote this to try to get in good graces with with uh oh here's a guy who's been transformed by christ that's a nice story for the parole board or whoever and this can't be real but i'm just telling you as serious as uh i can i mean this is real have you run into any of that
3: well i always will here's the deal i <coughs> i worked for years to have the federal and state government hate my guts So there's still people that don't believe the conversion and they hate my guts. There's people that will read that and go, isn't that pretty? You know, I can't center on what they think. i got to center on what God's allowing me to do. And let's see how the race finishes. Mm -hmm. Because I know how it's been since December thirteenth, 1994, when I gave my life to Christ and turned myself in. And it's never been easy. But right isn't spelled easy. This is, this you know, there's pain. When you're with Christ, there's pain. When you ain't with him, there's pain. But the pain with Christ has a peace about it that I could breathe and live with. Where the other pain was just a toxic, trying to suffocate me, a claustrophobic feeling that I'd sedate with everything I could. I'll take this pain.
1: Hmm. Uh, I want to go back to Ray Grimmett.
3: Yep. Oh, Ray.
1: One thing that jumped out on me, and I underlined this and put an asterisk next to it, which when I read and mark books, that means it's really important. <laughs> uh, you were with these guys, and you said this. As several years passed, I was drawn to ask him about his religious beliefs. And they'd sit at the table and read the Bible, and you get plugged into a church. Um, I think people who are trying to have an impact for Christ, like Ray Grimmett obviously was, I think some people like that are trying to microwave this, like you're trying to go fast. This takes years. And even, even the relationship that you had with him, when he asked you to pray that day, you're like, get off me, dude. Like, I am not doing this. But as you reflect back on the impact of Ray Grimmett and his wife, and then shortly after that, uh turning yourself in, giving yourself to Christ. um, Just that drip, drip, drip of the way they treated you, the lunches that you had with them, the way that the Spirit kind of lined up your stories and allowed you to cross paths and walk together for a while. I mean, is that the biggest influence in your life?
3: Yeah, I'd have to... He put me in contact, and I should have put him in the book. His name's Brother Mike Grimes. This... This man was the pastor of this church, and he would, Ray would say, you need to talk to him now and then, and I'd I'd talk with him, but it was kind of, it was like he knew what I was thinking. He knew, like, almost like there was something was going to happen to me. Hmm. So it was like when I spoke with him, it was encouraging, but it was kind of, I don't know, uh, mysterious in a way, where he would say things in a way where it made sense, but in my world, how can that make sense? Mm. I can see now as times went on where that was God using, like we're hoping today, men's voices to speak a spirit truth that maybe you don't get right away, but as you continue to be all in and go after it, that dripping, like they say, water hitting a rock will eventually knock a hole through it. So the living water mm-hmm. knocks a hole through that heart, allowing you to take the lid off that rusty sucker and get down in there and and really decide. I don't want to play a game, mm-hmm. of God. I want to walk in the practice, and it ain't easy. And you know, no one's perfect. That's his job. But yeah, Ray was. That was one of the instruments of God that allowed me to say, like I truly believe that he got, he infected me. Where when I went out to the woods, that's why I didn't squeeze that trigger that it was I know it was Christ talking to me that stopped me ultimately, but him him, he infected me with this stuff, and uh it was a good infection, God's good medicine, so to speak. Yeah. Built into you. Yep. I
1: think uh, there might be some listeners here who this Ray guy, he, he gave you a job. Yep, and he was intentional about it. I, I love the intentionality of I'll let you work for me. Um, but you're going to eat lunch with us every day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so he knew that he had the opportunity to infect you,
3: and that was his whole purpose, right? Yes, that was his... <clears throat> when, when his partner died, I went to one of the funerals, and they made a vow. Whoever died first, the other would give the, 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 the eulogy or whatever you call it, but uh, he got up there, and he said a few words about how good he was, and he said, now, let me tell you about Jesus. And I, I said, I get done and go... You talking right. about his business partner? Right. It, it was his, not his business was One of his best friends. So they made a pact that whoever died first, the other would give the eulogy. But the pact was, you would say, "Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. His parents are here. His family's here. That's good." Now, let <laughs> me tell you about Christ. The Amen. whole. The, and so he, I said, "You didn't say much about him at all. All you talked about was this God and Jesus." He goes exactly Amen. what better time when you're looking at a body to see how fragile and temp temp temporal it is Amen. he said we both made a vow and it I said dang you old dogs is crazy but I mean it was a good crazy was, you know <laughs> I mean uh, I, I can see now like I said he planted seeds and then when God gave me an opportunity to, to live and not die uh, it was again that long process 19 years inside state and federal penitentiaries of practicing the word to be able to come out, and we've got a ministry now that God's, you know, working through. And so
1: Homer Larson, who was I was telling you about him, he was the pastor and the preacher on Christian Crusaders. Christian Crusaders is the radio and internet ministry that this podcast is affiliated with. And uh, Homer would always say it, his favorite sermons to preach were funeral sermons because you've got people there who aren't typically there, and you've got people thinking about the temporality of life. Yep. And you've got people who are maybe more open to the gospel than ever. And his his whole mode was the same thing. Okay, talk about the guy for a little bit, but then the whole point of this is be crystal clear with the gospel, because the there's truth a of the gospel.
3: That's right. That's the element. That's that, that's the freedom. You know, we were talking with the coach the other day, and he's talking about discipline, and people look at it as, you know, a punishment where it's freedom, because the most dangerous man's the most disciplined one. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, and that could be for good. Hopefully that's what it is for, but, you know.
1: So you're in prison. I wanted to get to the MAPE story, which you told that. Um, so the very first time, now I told everybody on the podcast, I was first introduced to you in person at that Bible study a few years ago yep. um, after you were out. But the first time I ever really heard your name was when I was in church one Sunday and they played a video from Prison Fellowship Ministries.
3: Ken Knocker, yep.
1: And a guy that I know well, uh, Ken Lockard had been involved with prison fellowship ministries, probably supporting it a little bit. They were doing some initiative in Newton and, um, tell the Ken Lockard story. This is an amazing story and go all the way back to college or high school or whatever it was.
3: I mean, just to put it, you know, (coughs) but I mean, uh, he was one of them guys that was a, you know, we'd call him a big old college jock, you know, and, and, uh, we were the hoodlums and the idea was we had uh you know whether it was a kegger and we'd go out to him uh, we got into fights and sometimes it was heads up but a lot of times uh you know ken's a pretty good sized rascal we got no problem back then like wolves uh you know attacking two or three on one whatever it takes where you don't touch your brother and Ken, for, you know, I, I know he's married now, but back then he wasn't. So, you know, I know that he had seen a woman that was one of our brothers' girlfriends, and I'm sure it was consensual and all that, but it was one of those situations where, uh, you know, when it, it climaxed, where when I seen him, we got into a fight, and I'm talking about where, you know, if I got a steel piece of bar and I'm trying to cave his head in, and uh, the law came, and the last thing I told him was... Uh, you know what? It ain't done. I, I, you know, this is something that you'll be, you'll be answering for. And it wasn't shortly after that. That's one of the times that I got, uh, stabbed. And, uh, right after that, I went to a uh, prison, uh, for, you know, shooting at somebody and treating women like property. And, and I, I kind of just lost track of being what I was doing in prison and, and, uh, getting out and then being with the, the gang and, and traveling and, and, uh, and these charges come from the past, and I finally worked my way from the federal to the state system, and I'm in this Christian program now uh, called Interchange Freedom Initiative, and they have these guests coming in from the Fortune 500. And I look at this guy, and I'm going, it seems like I've seen him somewhere before. And he, you can just tell he's, look, he's looking at me kind of crazy, and I'm going, eh. And I go to shake his hand, he's looking at me. Well, anyway, he goes, who's that? Is that Ron Gruber? He goes, yeah, he's a prayer warrior. Prayer warrior. He goes, yeah, you ought to eat with him. Yeah, you give me a knife and a fork so I can defend myself. I will. It was just <laughs> insane. I heard Ken yeah.
1: describe that. It might have been in the video or a conversation I've had with Ken. And he said when he first realized it was you, he said the hair stood up on the back of his neck, and he immediately thought, I'm going to have to defend my life right
3: that's, now. He had never forgotten because, like I said, um, I'm not a vicious, you know, somebody that's real big, bad boy, all that, but I am I was very much dangerous in the sense that if I said something, I meant it. He had never forgotten that. So, yeah, he said, uh, and he could just feel from the bottom of his toes up, every hair it was, and he's like, oh no, here we go. It's got to be on right here and now. And this is in the Newton prison. This is in the Newton prison. And I'm like, eh, because I'm not even, I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out who he is because it's been 40 years or whatever. That, the heck and uh and they said no sit down with him. And that's a God. We sat down and man, we talked, we laughed, we cried, we ate, and uh Man I gained a brother. I gained a brother that day that's still my brother, Bob Smith, that, that came with him. Uh we we just he's they helped by God's power build the Essential Instruction Ministry that we uh currently been flowing under and uh, different parts of the state. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. So um, let's talk about the Hawkeyes. You and I are both Hawkeyes fans. Yep. You you had some cool experiences when you've come out. And it's almost like, I mean, before we get into that, maybe, how do you deal with this? It's almost like you've got a little bit of hero status because people hear about Ron Gruber. I mean, I mentioned to some people, I've got Ron Gruber coming into the podcast. Oh, Ron Gruber, wow, he's got an amazing story. Um, um, but kind of the way you got there was through some really bad stuff. And I mean, and there's people, like you said, who, uh, are still not real happy with you. And there's people whose lives have been impacted by things that you've done wrong. And so how do you, on one hand, um, go, Lord, I want to be used for your kingdom, which means I'll take, any platform that you give me, kind of like come on the podcast, go speak at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, which is going to lead to people saying, oh, man, your story changed my life. That was so awesome. Hawkeye football players saying this is the most riveting story I've ever heard. Um, how do you kind of think about that the right way in light of kind of the slog that it was to get to this point?
3: I'm, 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 I'm blessed because here's the deal. Uh, you know, uh, I fight every day i fight every day the uh the the liar hmm. all i when i wake up i remember the destruction i get up in the morning and i have my coffee i take a dump mm-hmm. and then i study the word and there isn't a time where i'm not reminded of the the death and the carnage and it isn't to um you know belittle me or to destroy me, what it is, is to encourage me to stay very, very humble. I never look at, I am amazed that people even want me to be around them, that I'm not just in some quick star cleaning the bathrooms on uh, a third shift. Um And so at the end of the day, I never look at it the way other people, some do because I've lived the words and live in the words Leave scars in my guts and my mind and heart that only Christ allows me to operate on, uh, and out of to be able to be useful. So, I've never, ever, uh, had a time where, yeah, look at me. I mm-hmm. no, I, I'm uh, a, a ball of crap, is what what my the the voice would try to say that she d- deserves nothing, and then I have God say. I've never condoned, I've never minimized, Mm -hmm. I've never excused any of your past. Mm -hmm. What I've done is forgiven you. Mm -hmm. And the challenge now is for you to forgive yourself daily and to operate out of that forgiveness. So when I'm in with, whether it's the Hawks or the Panthers or speaking at DMac Criminology Department, or with these students in Eldora, again, I don't take a day that I go, man, only by your power am I allowed to stand here, because I should be cleaning toilets. I should have been shot in the face and burning in hell. And here I sit. Mm. So that's why when people say, oh, come on, man, you think there's really a God? How do you expect me not to think there's a God?
1: Yeah,
3: I'm doing things that just can't be possible other than him. And so that's how I get through it.
1: You're wiping tears out of your eyes as you say that. Well, I mean, this I'd, means a lot to you. It's because, and. Uh, yeah. It's Is true. it always do you always have that reaction when you
3: talk yep. about this? And when it comes down to because there's people that ain't on this planet because of me, mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of it you can I know because of Christ that people listening right now, you're, you're, if you really hear God, you know that
1: mm-hmm.
3: some way or another you have killed or robbed or raped, and you've done that whether it's physically, maybe not so much, but you've done it emotionally. It's spiritually and financially in the way you justified your life. I don't think that's a misstatement. It's just me. I've done a lot of the first physically to people. Mm -hmm. So I have to live with that.
1: Powerful stuff, Ron. So you get out and you've got an incredible story that the Lord kind of orchestrated over the years. Um, You get connected to Ken Lockard, who has this idea to build this ministry. How'd you get connected to the Hawkeyes?
3: Uh, <clears throat> one of the men that read that book.
1: Hank, time out. I, I want to just break a second and say this, because we're going to get into some maybe lighter stuff. But if there's anybody who is uh, kind of struggling with some deep issues or asking some serious questions about where they are with Christ, I want to point you to a resource where you can c- get connected with an anonymous online mentor who is willing to talk with you through all this stuff. And the website you need to go to is IssuesIFace.com. IssuesIFace.com, you can get connected with an anonymous online mentor. It is part of the ministry called Power to Change Digital Strategies, which used to be the Life Project. It's connected to the Canadian arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. And there are anonymous online mentors who are ready to listen to you, encourage you, pray for you. walk with you through whatever issues you're facing. If you go to com slash talk, that will get you right to the mentor request form, and you can get plugged in. So there's that. Sorry, let's go back to logos. Oh No, no,
3: I didn't even know that existed. That's good stuff. No, uh people read that book, and then they wanted, they, they wanted to be able to share. Basically, they were sticking the thermometer in the turkey to see if, okay, I hear this. Yep. But is this really weird? You know, I want to see it eye to eye. Yep. Right, and so that's how it was with me and Ken. There's a difference between saying you're with Jesus and walking it and letting the Spirit speak for you, let your actions speak for you. That's why Ken and Bob pulled right alongside me, and then men like uh, Lon Olinzak, Yeah. So number 13, he, he was number 13, yeah. he was one of so, my heroes Yeah, I mean, here's, here's, yeah, here's, here's a, this is a real one for the Hawks, Barry Boyer, I mean, the list, the elders are just, they bring, God brings these men, and Lon is a Hawkeye, was a Hawkeye, always will be a Hawkeye, and so as time goes on, he said, he talks to Coach Barrence and Coach Doyle, and says, hey, I'd like you to come to the house and bring some of the leadership, and. My house, and I'd like you to just to, to take a look at this and, and talk. And, and so came to Lon's house and met Coach Ferentz and some of the players ended up going downstairs and sharing my testimony and talking about being all in because you can be all in for the wrong thing like I was or you can allow the higher coach to give you the perception to listen to your earthly coach because like Coach Ferentz, he's, he's one that wants not just Hundred percent on the field, he wants it off the field. He's building men for a way of life. That's like Jed Smith with the Panthers. He's similar in that, that degree. Where, so I meet, I, I meet them and and I talk at that at Lon's house. And then, shoot, he allowed me to come to some. What's their reaction
1: like in the room? I mean, I, I I'm trying to imagine you in Lon's basement. I mean, I, I, I got imagine pictures it's where I got
3: see, I got my I'm tatted a, a tatted hawk. So I got a picture with Coach Beards where I'm standing there, but. I mean, are they, I mean, eat, are are they just, eating this up? Or are yeah, they, well, they? They're, they're not gumps. They're not gullible, but they're they're like because some of them, they worked their way to be a hawk, just like they worked their way to be a panther. They didn't come from everything clean, right? They come from different parts of the United States, so some of them can relate to, yeah. I made a choice to get away from that, yep. and turn my my strengths instead of the street was to football and becoming a a, a Hawkeye or becoming a Panther. That's, so it's like. Yeah, um, there was some, you know, pulling up on me and talking, saying, "Man, I get this, or, man, you know, the ability to sit here and really see what you're saying is true. And so it was encouraging that they got it. I mean, and so then the coach would allow me to come in and speak to his whole team and then the red shirts and, you know, and then that through another meeting, I'm talking, and then this guy walks up, predominantly large, and he goes, I'm the UNI Panthers strength and conditioning coach. You ever thought about doing it in your hometown, talking to the <laughs> Panthers? And so I've done it with him, and now he's a brother in Christ. That they even bring Panthers out to Eldora to mentor with some of the youth. Wow. So it's like I get to see the other side, too. You work out there at Eldora with youth, and it isn't just like one that stole a the chicken. these guys are out there for murder. they're out there for molestation, they're out there for gang participation, drug dealing and where I see okay, these men like me use their gifts for the street and against God, and then you got young men that are on teams and they're learning a concept uh, and they're you know so it's it's i get a I get the full three sixty that way instead of just being confined to seeing what I used to be in trying to allow some options to come into their brains so they don't continue that path. I get to work with men that are already channeling that, but they're fighting things so that I can have private talks off the field with them. And that's, that's powerful to be able to know that what God does identifies, whether it's a six year old boy uh, or a girl that's sitting there listening to you talk about something with Jesus or somebody that's in prison or somebody that's, that's on a a team of that caliber, they get it because it's him talking, not me. It's just powerful to see that.
1: Yep. yep. You're a football fan, obviously. You showed me the Hawkeye tattoo there, Panther fan. Um, are there times when you're in those settings where it's just kind of a pinch-me moment, kind of like I I was in prison, and even before that I was on this completely different trajectory and the Lord has blessed me with this opportunity, not just to go speak to these guys about what really matters, but to have fun, go to a game, enjoy, enjoy football, enjoy something I'm passionate about. We were talking about the Hawkeyes before the podcast. I mean, I can tell that you, you're a fan. Um, and the Lord's letting you do this.
3: It's There's something that uh, Coach Smith and me have been talking about that puts this in perspective. It's like Leon Nichols is the, one of the producers for that uh, Oyster Theater downtown. She was my ninth grade school teacher. Okay. She's a Christian. She hears about the conversion. I, I meet with her. Will you come? Now, she's 80-something. Will you come? And it's, um, what's the one with the uh, umbrella that flies? Uh, Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins. Pa- I'm doing Mary Poppins, and I want you to sit. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. So I'm sitting up in the balcony watching Mary Poppins, and I'm thinking, I'm with guys in prison that come out. I'm with guys coming out of prison. I'm with the with the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm with the Panthers. Now I'm sitting in, and what I'm getting at is the pinch me moment, and I'm learning this, and I'm practicing it. It's every day because the best invention that's ever been made by God is death. Hmm. And I'm not the first one to say it, but the way I interpret it is not as a, oh, whoa, it's because I know that every day, I can squeeze today. I could squeeze it for all it's worth. I could really say, wow, I'm able to sit here with somebody this old mm. that loves me, mm. wants me to see what she's, her creati- creativity is, is put together for the community. What the panthers or or my hawk eyes what they're what these men are doing for for the safety and wellness of the community, and that's that's what we hinge on in our ministry is the the way you have wellness, the way you have safety in the community is hinged on the truth of the gospel that broken lives can be mended by the forgiveness you gotta you gotta forgive yourself, and that's that daily thing i do but so that you can forgive. So that you can pour your 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 efforts, your your inspirations into allowing others to to uh, to free themselves, whether it's the dope, the alcohol, the lust, the anger, mm-hmm. and no one's going to be perfect at this, but we can get this done. If we're squeezing a day, pinching that moment, mm-hmm. what's it going to be today? Sure, it'll be with you, but it'll also be going to see my wife. Who, you know, I've never been married, and being married with her this last seven months, it's someone that. I knew her at sixteen and by twenty she gave me a little girl and then I said, I can't be with you people. I'm gang. And she left me. Forty some years later, here we are together. And it's ironic how you know I, I look at her and sometimes I just think Well what I should have done. Hmm. And but I can't live in that. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm doing now with her or my daughter that because I was so racist, I said. Don't come around me when she was a kid. You believe this black thing and Dudley D. And she, I write her after I give my life to Christ. She stayed away from me for eight years, and then she goes, she calls. I, you don't even know a grandpa. I said, no. I want you to come see me. I want to talk to you. I'll bring, I'll bring pictures of the kids. And I went, you can't bring pictures of the kids. Why don't you just bring them or just? She goes, it got real quiet, and she goes, I want you to know they're half black. I sat there on the phone and said, I don't care if they're purple, they're my family. Please come see me. And after, like, what we're doing, Mm -hmm. talking, she goes, he don't care no more. He really believes there's a God. Mm -hmm. And he's not looking at color. He's looking at spirit. So I got got beautiful grandbabies and, you know, uh, great grandbabies now where, God, I'm sure smiling on the whole thing that at one time I'd wrestled across the concrete. And now I'm sitting here and, you know, we're all family. And so... You know, I all them pinch me moments every day. And at my age, I'm 64. Um, a guy could go tomorrow. Um, I'm blessed. I'm going to have a lot of pinch me's today. I mean, I'm going to just work on it, you know.
1: Let's back up. Tell, fill in the gaps with the story about your wife. I mean, that's an incredible story. I heard it from uh, somebody second or third hand on the phone one day when we were talking about scheduling you for the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. And they're talking about your story, and they're and did you hear that he's married? And no, I didn't hear he's married. And it was a girl
3: that he knew way back when he was a yep. teenager. Yep. So tell that story in a little more detail. It's it just Joy. I mean, she's her name's Joy. Your name's Joy, and so she's uh, she's sixteen, and and I see her at this party, and I I go over and I tell her, you know, you're gonna be mine. And she looks at me and goes, Yeah, right. And as the weeks went on. I ended up taking her for a ride on my bike, on my Harley, and we started seeing each other. And I was wild, But I think in her heart she kept thinking she'll be able to slow me down. And I'm, I'm gang, and so once I get my patch, I'm like I'm a hundred percent on. And, and she's still, I think she still had hope. And then she gave me a little girl, Sarah, and uh, she said, "Ron, you." and you can't live this life. You come out of the house and you come back into the house and you're bleeding and, and you've got a knife and gun on you and, and I can see that you you know some of that blood's yours and some of it ain't and I can't do this. And I said, that's right, neither can I. Get out of here. I don't need anything but my gang, my family. This is all that's ever had my aching chest, my aching hole satisfied. It's not you, it's not her. Get out. And uh, yeah, she she left and she married a man and that didn't work. That was seven years and he was black and that's that's where this thing come in where you guys stay away from me. Back then it was just mean that way and ugly and stupid and and she married this other man, had him for like almost thirty years, twenty five thirty years, and he dies of cancer and she hears, you know, I'm with God and and we uh, I had. I, I talked to her on and off, and then I had three surgeries done that I've been procrastinating, shoulder and guts, and she said, I'll help you with that. I I know, I said, all right, sister, right? <laughs> all right, sister, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> we're, you know, and so and she helps me, and as she's helping me, I just, the voice just said, Rod, I put you guys together, but you wouldn't hear me then. Do you hear me now? Huh. And... Uh, ask her to marry me, and she said, okay, and we ended up getting, uh, we got a church outside of Grundy Center called the Lincoln Center. They had abandoned in this parsonage. So it was given to the ministry, and so I'm living over in Steamboat, and I'm telling her, I want you to see this place because I'm I'm not going to live in the cabin anymore. I'm going to get this parsonage and fix it up, and she goes, okay. So as I'm driving over there, I get on the road that leads to the church on three miles away and you can see it. She, she just kind of like, not shaken, but, she starts just looking like something's wrong and then, her, her tears. And I said, what's the matter with you? She goes, look, that house right there, when I was young, seven, my, this is where my dad lived and my mom ran away and he had six kids and we lived here and then down here is a church. I said, Joy, that's the church. I pull in. She goes, my God, that's the church. She knew about the deacons who she used to ride horses with them. And Mr. Eldon and Elna Deacon would sit there and he'd read from the Bible. And so they did that for for several years. And she goes, Ron, I'm back with you. I'm back in the area. I originally, where I remember all the good things in life. (sighs) And that's that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's that's. It's one of those where you're going, you know, like, yeah, yeah, quit the soap opera, bub. But, <laughs> but it really happened where where, unless you're with God, you just think these things, yeah, you see them on TV, but what a crock of grock. That don't really happen in real life. But it does, and it did. That's why even if I went to try to walk away from God, because there's sometimes I don't want to walk away from, but I want to justify little things, pride or not, which ain't little, but I'll hear the voice go, you know, you know, and I do know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i not perfect. I, I continue to fight pride or lust or, you know, being able to, you know, because I'm always trying to figure, okay, how can I do this better? Instead of going, okay, you're right, Lord. What do you want me to do? Right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a, businessman about this. I want to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you've got Sarah. Yep. Got my daughter. you got two boys, Cabe and Garrett, who yes.
1: you had in Kentucky. Yep. Um, you were telling me about them before we got on the podcast. Seems like they're doing pretty well. Tell me, you said that their voices are part of what kind of pointed you to Christ way back before you went out in the woods when you were working with Mr. Grimmett and pounding a hole in the dirt and finally surrendering your life to Christ instead of killing yourself. Tell me about
3: your boys i I had two little boys, one in eighty eight one in eighty nine as I'm working for Ray and uh, their mother went through medical secretary school and and she was one of those you know aunt receptionists at the doctor's office, but while that was going on, I just stayed out in the on the woods of kentucky and and these boys as like I didn't do with my daughter, which I should have i, I I started looking at them as little lives, and and I would be thinking weird stuff like, you know, oh, how am I going to make sure that they're better than I was, and weird things like, I don't want them in the gang. I want them to be, and I would, and as they got older, uh, you know, I can remember one night I was trying to, I was going to bed, and they come back, and they said, say, Dad, you you got to go and lay down, because I had them in this great big double bed, and they said, you got to lay down with us. I said, well, why not I, you guys are, just get in there and get to sleep. They said, Dad, your arms are our pillows. And so <laughs> that's where we, we bonded. And so I know that it was like that water, that pecks and pecks, just like Ray, how he was pecking on my heart. Those little boys, God knew the charges were coming. God knew that if I didn't have the right element of, you know, power from him and they so God used their voices where when it came time and I had their gun against my head and he's trying to talk to me about kill yourself with me hmm. that it was them slowing me down in the, which is not slow me down but let me see some quality of a different type of life and I wasn't perfect then but I it was like you know God's fingerprint was on him and hmm. I should have done that with my daughter I, but I was so delusional on what the family of gang was mm. that I, I couldn't see that where I had this enough of the taking their lives and then ha- going over Ray and then coming home and looking at these little rascals and I'm going mm-hmm. hmm, and then when the charges came to make the choice because when you walk in murder and racketeering charge you don't know if you're ever getting out mm-hmm. But I knew that you know, taking my life or running wasn't the answer. So, when you uh, this is backing the story up, but just something I'm curious about:
1: when you were out in the woods, so you get the call that these guys are looking for you. You out in the woods. It says in the book you were in the woods for ten days. Yeah, like literally ten days. Yeah, like slept in the woods.
3: Slept in the woods. Did you have a tent? Did you? Were you just no? What What was no, that? What I was doing? I, I I had, you know, like every once in a while, I'd I'd uh, I I get up. And I mean, cause when I left the house, I had me like this knapsack. So I had, you know, Twinkies and, and, and sandwich meat and cans of beans. And I sat there and I, I'd eat a little bit out of it, but I hardly ate. I drank a lot of water Hmm. and just sat there. And it was like, I, I don't know. It wasn't like fasting, but I can see now just how every, and I mean, hey, it might've been eight days. Right, I mean, I'm I'm saying that I know a week plus passed where I finally snapped out there in the middle of the night by him. I that's the ironic thing. I see in the Bible that some people hear the word of God and they come to they come to God. Paul's out there being an insane rascal. He had to knock him down, blind him. He had to be blind for three days. He had to have Ananias who. Says, I ain't going over there, Lord. The guy's a killer. And he says, I'm asking you to go over there because this ain't about him right now. It's about you need to have some things cleaned out of you also. So it's working for everybody. Mm -hmm. So he goes over there where God does supernatural things. He just does to get some of us. I don't know what the deal is, but him doing with Ray, my boys, being out in them woods where you know, I'd cry. I'd, I'd cry, and I'd be so mad. I'd pound holes in the ground, and I'd get back up, and I'd maybe I should just go down there, and just go out, and get, get in a truck. and see. Maybe I should go back to the farm, see if they're there, right? But they don't. I, I know now they were. They'd been there. They set up a pie, uh, you know, where they 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 put some right around the house, and they go out like a quarter of a mile, and they set up a few, and then they set up another. Mm-hmm. But anyway, hmm. yep. It was was. One of those, God used all the elements to bring it to a point where either you're going you're gonna to die to him and for him or you're going to die to the world and take your life. And mm-hmm. I was blessed that I put the gun down. Um,
1: I know that you're a, a, a product of an estranged relationship with your dad, and then you've got these two boys who you then leave because you're going to prison. Uh, You talked about your daughter, Sarah, and you kind of, to your daughter and your would-be wife, kind of said, no, I'm picking the gang first. So there's a little bit of estrangement there. Now, you had a heartbeat for your kids. It was obvious when you described the pillows thing. Yep. Um, um, But I think that that's a common thread. I think there's a lot of estrangement between fathers and sons, parents and kids. Um, Today, you've got a relationship with your kids. You talk to them. Yep. Tell us about that. How that is, and just uh, think about somebody who might be listening to this who needs some
3: encouragement along those lines. Yeah, you, know, you know, they, we, we, we text and we call, and like once, maybe twice a year, we come up and and we see each other. Um, but it's been a process because it's one of those where, okay, they know I cared about them when they was little, as best as they can remember, but they heard a lot of things. Yep. Okay, and then they realize as they get older, your dad's in prison for being in a gang and being a bad person in that gang to the point where he killed and he did a lot of bad stuff. And that's the kind of father you have. Mm -hmm. And living with that name, and yes, they had a good stepfather from what I understand, but it ain't me. Mm -hmm. So there was resentment that, number one, I even was that? Why did they have to be boarded to that kind of name? And... Now, K.B.'s him and me have talked and just like Garrett. We've had our private moments where we've—they were very candid on how they felt about that. And I'm saying, yes, I, there's nothing I can do other than allow myself to let you know what I'm doing now. The reason I'm reaching out, the reason we're sharing—this isn't counterfeit. This isn't building you up. That's why I tell the guys in prison, you—you you want to sit here and tell your woman and your kids, now you know Jesus. Don't play with them because if you're going back out there to do the dope and run rampant, just tell them to get away from you because they'll think, number one, that's how strong God is, that he ain't. Mm -hmm. And two, bro, you're destroying them. It's because they get out, six months later, they're chasing another skirt, they're doing dope, and they're back in prison, they're in and out. Make a decision. So it's like I told them, I'm telling you, and I want my actions to speak. I'm here. I'm not going back. I believe in this just like I used to believe so hard in my gang. I believe in this to the point that I'm sacrificing and I'm committing. But you'll see this. Mm-hmm. And so we worked through that baggage as best we can. And one, he's in a good company's in the HR department and Cabe, and he's uh, his heart's really, uh, you know, he's uh, uh, he notices uh, the wall, the the trees and the flowers, and he's. Big old boy, and he likes to do a little martial art. But he's, you know, he's 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 pretty freelance on just not taking life too serious. Now Garrett took it real personal, as far as, you know, they told him that name will keep him down. Hmm. They shouldn't. I mean, it was what, the worst thing they did was tell him that because what he'd done on his side was he went in the military. Mm-hmm. He gave ten years in the National Guard, became a sergeant, a recruiter, started working with men. And then he. Eight years ago, tried to be the executive judge for the county. Take the good old boy stuff out, mm-hmm. and he got shut down. And the, some of the law enforcement said, "You, uh, yeah, he has to register." The first time, I said, "Yeah, you, uh, you Groover, mm. isn't your dad such and such?" And he goes, "Well, I ain't my dad, mm. and I'm not going to be defined by him." And so this time he ran, and he won. He's and like he tells me you ever think you'd see the day when it would be judge gribert and i'm going no <laughs> no no dog <laughs> so you know and, and we're talking and so you know that's it's exciting it's exciting I, I share with my daughter and i love on her and she's out there working on some things and some still working on some personal things pretty heavy but um we communicate we share on the phone we get to see each other and that's something as I'm getting older, I talking to Joy, I want to be able to to get back down there. I haven't been out down there since I left. And I wanna go down to Kentucky? Yep. I want to go down this year. I wanna I wanna see them in their environment. I wanna see uh where I once was and hmm. and uh I wanna be able to go out to Arizona where my grand where my grand, grandbabies are and my great grandbabies and uh see them and get to know them. That's you know, where your daughter lives. Yes. No, my daughter lives that's where she was living. Now she's living in uh, Arkansas. Okay. Yeah, but my grandbabies are out there too. So,
1: what a yeah. what what a story that God has woven. Uh, Want to wrap up by talking about essential instruction? Okay. Uh, it's a ministry that you lead, and uh, how does that tie to the Lincoln Center, the church that you've got out in Grundy Center? You were talking about. Just kind of uh, tell us what essential instruction is.
3: Well, like we said before. uh, Essential instructions or mission is the wellness uh, and safety of the community. We do that by having less victims, and we do that through the, the truth of the gospel, uh, that redemption, uh, being able to take broken lives such as myself and placing the velocity, uh, the, the strengths, the gifts that you've been empowered uh, to be able to serve God. And we talk. I do classes. I go, uh, used to go into prisons a lot, now I'm going to the training school quite a bit. And I teach uh, the power of choice eight-week course, and then second one is the uh, leadership development, where it's about spiritual boundaries. God's got a whole format of things. Just like if you want to get strong in the iron pile, here's a, you go to somebody that you can tell lifts, and you get it. Now it doesn't do you any good to walk by that piece of paper. You got to commit to it. And you can't do it for two months. You got to do it for a long. You got to do it for the rest of your life. But you want to see the changes? Yes, you'll see some change. If you do it once a month, you see a lot more if you do it twice a month, five times a week. So it is with the words. So we talk about commitment, dedication to being a disciple. And they, and then I do a church service on Sunday at the training school. But again, like they say about the classes or the church service on Sunday at the training school, or we have the Lincoln Center now It's called Essential Instruction Freedom Bound. It's a right off Highway 14. Uh, you you'll see a sign uh, that says three miles. We got a great big brick church. We do services at nine thirty in the morning. But people say it ain't your mama's church, <laughs> and it's not because we're doing something crazy. It's just that you know I'm i have never uh, been skilled by going to some college or church uh, doctrine to uh, talk about the word of God. What it is is the Holy Spirit allowing us to open up the Bible and saying. When he says, I want you to be strong as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Now he's, why would he say be strong? Unless there's a reason that I need to hear it because I want to be weak. I want to make excuses. And then, what am I supposed to be strong in? And that's Christ. Let's take a look at his pattern of life. His commitment to the cause. his having days where he said, how much longer I got to be here? Days where he knew people were going to betray him, but he didn't quit washing feet. And so there's and a soldier. Soldier's one that knows it's about not just about you. It's a team player. It's commitment. It's about giving for the better good. Taking into your resources and realizes those resources came from him. And that being able to pour out, you get poured back in. So we tear it down a mite more than just giving a talk and saying, Here's some scripture to go to. We mm-hmm. So it's different. It isn't for everybody. But we've been doing this now for I've been out six and a half years. The ministry's been going for about five and a half years. Uh, it's just funded by donors. We exactly. We have a website, essentialinstruction.org, and uh, people donate there. Uh, they found out at the church because I've got uh, people that say you don't take an offering. I said that's right. I'm not going to speak up here and then somebody go. This is now. Give me your money. I said we ain't playing a dog and pony show you feel cold in your heart and you know it's from God, not from me, mm-hmm. that you haven't been manipulated because of something you heard, then you can go to the website and you can put in or you can send it to the church and, and we'll get it in the central hub. I'm excited. I'm excited because uh, one of the things that we talk about is not becoming a program. Uh, church is called family, right? We don't, and, and it's not because church is a bad word. It's just want the attitude and concept. Mm-hmm. A family, because I don't care who you are. If you go to a family reunion, and all your people are there, because um, some people, well, church. I just don't get along with everybody. Listen, you go to a family reunion, and all of you there by three in the afternoon, there's always one that's always got his mouth running, probably been on the too many drinks, and you want to stick him <laughs> in the trunk of a car, and that's family. So. Don't expect to be any better at a church where everybody's there. Anyway, we're all misfits. We're all broken. Yep. And the glue's God. And so, yeah, I invite anybody uh, that uh, my number's 501-762-5560. You can go on the website, essentialinstruction.org. Um, come out to the Lincoln Center at 930 in the morning. Come out at 9, have a cup of coffee. or come out sometime. Yeah, come on out and... Take a look at what we're doing. You'll see that it's in its infancy, right? Uh, but its, it's I, I think you'll feel comfortable.
1: A couple random thoughts. One is I, I don't have a real high opinion of the government's level of evangelical focus. So how do you get by with this in the training center and in the prisons, this, this Christ-centered, Bible-based
3: stuff? Um, there's this guy we've been talking about called God and Jesus. <laughs> Right, Yeah, he gets it done. I got guys that go, Robert, I've been off parole for five years and uh, I uh, had a little charge of such and such and they don't let me come in. And you, uh, racketeer and second-degree murder, you've been allowed to go in prisons. Uh, How does that work? Uh, God. Uh, (laughs) I can't, you know, it's one of those pinch me moments again where people get it that I'm being a small vessel that's helping the recidivism rate go down a bit, less victims, right? And so that's how it's occurring is people say, hey, what you see is what you get with him. But it changes. Not everybody's kumbaya, but it changes some of the dynamics of ugly here. So I want him here. Leave him alone. And that's, again, I give that glory. It's not me. Yep. It's him. I just got to be consistent. And remember, as one of the uncommonly part, the oh anus, Yeah, that I don't mind being that in the body. and not trying to be an arm when I'm not an arm. Yep. Be gifted. Be the best I can be at it. And that's, I stay green and growing. Mm-hmm. It's better than ripe and rotten and falling to the ground. I stay green and growing. I'm moldable, teachable, pliable, I'm hard-headed. But I'm willing to listen and then filter to the spirit. So...
1: One, Two more things, but here's, here's the next one. Um, just to be clear for anyone listening, I mean, we need to tell the gospel. Amen. How does someone get saved? And, and the thought that goes through my mind as I kind of set you up for this is I've heard people say before, like, uh, there's an old evangelism explosion program where you go ask people at their homes, if you were to die tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven most time? They say, I hope so, because they don't know for sure. They, they're not assured. They probably don't know Christ. And then you'd ask them, if, if I were to... Uh, if, if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? A lot of times they'll say, because I've tried to be a good person. Or they'll say, like, I've never murdered anyone. And so, uh, and I've, I've actually run into people who profess Christ, who actually believe that because they haven't murdered someone, you know, because they're a certain level of morality that's not really bad, like Ron Gruber, right. that they're going to have a place in heaven. So what's the gospel?
3: To me, it's you got to decide that you really want to invest in that, in the word. Because what I'm getting at is I can, like, that person believes he can go to heaven because he hasn't killed. That's not in the Bible. Hmm. See, they're taking it second, third, fourth hand. If your life has value and it's priceless according to God, or if you want to go off you, what about your family? What about somebody you care about? If there's something that you care enough about to invest in really finding out try to prove him that he isn't there, that means yes, you can talk to you, yes, you can talk to me, go back to the word, read a little bit, and say, "Okay, if you're there, talk to me. What does it take? What does it take for me to be able to take this 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 desire for whether it's an addiction, whether it's the the pain what what is it going to take for me to, to operate through this?" And the Lord's, like he says in James, if you don't understand, ask me. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the understanding. And a lot of times it's going to be very uncomfortable. It will not be convenient because that isn't who we serve. So, Because I know the bedrock is my belief in Jesus Christ. God left heaven, everything perfect, came down here, walked in example. And then he commissioned and said, I want you all to go and teach and preach. And when he does that, most people go to Matthew and go, here's a great commission that Jesus said, go and lo, I'll be there with you to the end and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and make disciples. Well, you can't make what you ain't. Go two verses up. They never talk about it. It said when they showed up, because they were told to, they were there to worship, but many were doubting. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and show up doubting. Mm -hmm. Not to, because Showing up means you don't doubt to the point that you're saying there ain't no God. Start reading it for yourself and allow yourself, even if it seems mechanical, to say, all right, I'm committing to this. Not for a week, not for a month. I say for life, but give him a year. Give him a year like you would a diet or will you give him a year of reading a little bit, but walking it, Mm. practicing it, smelling and tasting the results of it. Because then you start saying, I want the blood of Christ to cover the doorpost of my heart. I want you as my sovereign Lord. I don't want to say a bunch of words to people. I want to live a life that's about peace and healing. I don't want to destroy you anymore. And then you stay commissioned to that and you start finding people that are like you. They start coming next to you and you start encouraging. And that's that's family in Christ. And so, you know, we can all agree that it's giving your life to Jesus and it's about. You know the truth of his sacrifice and resurrection, but it's the walking. Mm. You had the again Luke uh, chapter ten where he goes, uh, here come a Christian. Uh, so he was a priest. He seen a guy on the road and said, obstacle ain't none of my problem. Then here come a Levite, which again Christian, another, another whatever priest, whatever. He looks and sees obstacle, not my problem. Here comes a dog, an ex con mixed breed, Mm -hmm. a murderer, whatever it is, but he's a believer, he's a Samaritan. He doesn't see obstacle. he sees opportunity. And he doesn't just send somebody over, he puts his own stinking beautiful hands on him, and he gets up in where it's dirty and where it's ugly and messy, and he works him, and then he puts him somewhere and even puts some resources in and says, Mm -hmm. because he sees that that was he. That may be inconvenient, but that's God. Mm -hmm. And so it's doing it. Even if it feels mechanical, do it. Get around ones that ain't playing the game. They're walking it. And, yeah.
1: That's good. Uh, Essentialinstruction.org yep. is where they can
3: find it. Uh There's, like I said... Uh, uh, there's a website you can contact us. There's a place to donate. We're going to be upgrading it because
1: you got a Facebook page too. I think.
3: Okay. There, there's a Facebook, yep. and I'm not real good at that, but I, I get on there and check that and then put stuff on there now and then. I'm starting to do more, and then I've got somebody's going to come alongside me. We're going to change a lot. Now that you got, got a wife,
1: she can help you, right?
3: Well, she, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She does too. She puts a lot. She comes over, and makes sure that like, we clean the church ourselves. We make sure everything's ready. Uh, she helps me out at the institution with work with the youth, and you know, she's pulled right alongside, yoke beside me on this deal.
1: Do you got a watch on your clock? Yeah. Do you have any idea how long we've been going? No, and it's... An hour and 39 minutes, and this is some of the best stuff that, I, that I've heard, and I'm so thankful for you being here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have you close with prayer, and I want you to specifically pray for the folks that are listening to this okay. that are either believers who need to grow and get more committed Uh, there. I love that line in your book. When you're giving your life to Christ, you say, you're my uno, you're my boss. Yep. That's a gang word. Yep. Uno,
3: jefe number one. Um,
1: so Christians who need to make more of a surrender to Christ as their Lord or non-believers who might be hearing this, who are going, man, this guy's talking about something that I'd like to have before you pray. This is the last thought I, I just want to mention and maybe get your comment on. Um, you know, you're coming to the Cedar Falls Bible Conference this summer. Yep. And I was thinking uh, a few weeks ago, if you were to make a list, back up the clock, 40 years, 50, 60 years, whatever it is, and make a list in order of the people in Cedar Falls who are most likely and least likely to someday speak at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. I mean, Ron, you'd be near or at the bottom of the list. With, a, with- and and here it is. And it's not just some token thing. This is because you understand the gospel. You have a passion to call Christians to be more committed. Uh, you've got a story that will inspire nonbelievers to turn to Christ. And who but God
3: that's can right. do that? No one. I mean, that's, that's where, like I said, I can't go back I, because I, I'm stupid. But I know too much. Right in the sense that there's been too much happening, I, I can't call it a coincidence. They're God incidences, and they've purlled it together where, and I know that I'm allowed to live until he's going to take me to be able to be useful in this body as the part that I am to those that will get it. They'll get it because it rela- They can they can relate. I got credibility with them because I've been in that trench with them, and we're crawled out of the toilet. I'm not eating out of the toilet no more, you know, so. Go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord of life, we do. Uh, We just first acknowledge your presence here right now. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you didn't give up on us. We thank you that there's an ability for you. You look at us and you don't see all the cartilage. You don't condone it, minimize it, excuse it, but you don't see that. You see a son. You see a daughter. You see an ability to, to be able to take that which the world says is, is expendable and useless and, 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 and you produce life out of it, Lord. Only you can create life from death. And so we're acknowledging you as, as our Lord, as, yes, as our Uno, the top coach. And so, Lord, that being said, we do. We, we pray for those listening today. We pray that if they've gave their life to you, but there's been this, this, uh, stagnant, there's just been this dark spot that's flowing around in them that allows them to make excuses or not to grow in the areas of the challenge it is to come out of the comfort zone. Lord, encourage them today that, 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 that there is a war and that the best the best invention's death that you've created, so that we can squeeze life today. We can squeeze life. Look in the mirror, being able to see ourselves as priceless, that we have a purpose, and then be able to take that, that spirit, that 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 toxicity that's that's within all of us in the flesh, and be able to cast it enough to the left by your power, to to pour into people, to show them compassion, to show them self control, to show them the love of God. Not just speak on it to encourage them, Lord, to rededicate in a way that allows the Holy Spirit fire to reign. And for those that they've been searching but really doing it half-rump or they don't believe, but these are just kind of stories like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. We ask for the kind of revival in them, the kind of God incidents in them that allow them to be drawn to you, Lord. Be drawn to you as a good medicine. Be allowing them to, to commit in a different way. To say, okay, I'm not going to try because trying's lying. It's coming after you, Lord. That they'd be inspired today to climb out of the toilet, to be able to, to walk in a, a newness and like the water, be patient with themselves. To be patient, but not to make the excuses. Not to make the excuses that keep us separated from you. Again, I thank you today that, uh, that there's an ability to have Matt even called by your, your power to, to have me here. And that it isn't about anything we're doing uh, called a podcast or Christian Crusaders or Essential Instruction or Freedom Bound Church. It's about you. It's about you. Those elements are exist inside this, but it's about you and your ability to teach us how to really forgive ourselves and to love. So, Lord, we beg you as we close. We do love you. But teach us how to love you more. In Christ's name we pray.
0: The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry. Started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded and donations to our ministry are 100% tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, ChristianCrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number 2, and the letter cdigital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a 5-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you. And thanks again for listening.